0: chapter 13 of a gentleman of leisure this librivox recording is in the public domain a gentleman of leisure by pg whithouse 13 spike's views nevertheless it was in a very exalted frame of mind that he dressed for dinner it seemed to him that he had awakened from a sort of stupor life so gray yesterday now appeared full of color and possibilities. Most men, who either from choice or necessity, have knocked about the world for any length of time, are more or less fatalists. Jimmy was an optimistic fatalist. He had always looked on fate, not as a blind dispenser at random of gifts good and bad, but rather as a benevolent being with a pleasing bias in his favor. He had almost a Napoleonic faith in his star. At various periods of his life, notably at the time when, as he had told Lord Drever, he had breakfasted on birdseed, he had been in uncommonly tight corners. But his luck had always extricated him. It struck him that it would be an unthinkable piece of bad sportsmanship on fate's part to see him through so much, and then to abandon him just as he had arrived in sight of what was by far the biggest thing of his life. Of course, his view of what constituted the biggest thing in life had changed with the years. Every ridge of the Hill of Supreme Moments in turn had been mistaken by him for the summit, but this last, he felt instinctively, was genuine. For good or bad, Molly was woven into the texture of his life. In the stormy period of the early twenties, he had thought the same of other girls, who were now mere memories as dim as those of figures in a half-forgotten play. In their case his convalescence had been temporarily painful, but brief. Force of will and an active life had worked the cure. He had merely braced himself up and firmly ejected them from his mind. A week or two of aching emptiness, and his heart had been once more in readiness, all nicely swept and done up for the next lodger. But in the case of Molly it was different. He had passed the age of instantaneous susceptibility. Like a landlord who had been cheated by previous tenants, he had become wary. He mistrusted his powers of recuperation in case of disaster. The will in these matters, just like the mundane bouncer, gets past his work. For some years now, Jimmy had had a feeling that the next arrival would come to stay, and he had adopted, in consequence, a gently defensive attitude towards the other sex. Molly had broken through this, and he saw that his estimate of his will-power had been just. Methods which had proved excellent in the past were useless now. There was no trace here of that dimly consoling feeling of earlier years that there were other girls in the world. He did not try to deceive himself, He knew that he had passed the age when a man can fall in love with any one of a number of types. This was the finish, one way or the other. There was no second throw. She had him. However it might end, he belonged to her. There are few moments in a man's day when his brain is more contemplative than during that brief space when he is lathering his face preparatory to shaving. Flying the brush, Jimmy reviewed the situation. He was perhaps a little too optimistic. Not unnaturally, he was inclined to look upon his luck as a sort of special train which would convey him without effort to Paradise. Fate had behaved so exceedingly handsomely up till now. By a series of the most workmanlike miracles it had brought him to the point of being Molly's fellow-guest at a country house. This, as reason coldly pointed out a few moments later, was merely the beginning, but to Jimmy, thoughtfully lathering, it seemed the end. It was only when he had finished shaving and was arranging his tie that he began to perceive that there were obstacles in his way, and sufficiently big obstacles at that. In the first place, Molly did not love him, and he was bound to admit there was no earthly reason why she ever should. A man in love is seldom vain about his personal attractions. Also, her father firmly believed him to be a master burglar. "'Otherwise,' said Jimmy, scowling at his reflection in the glass, everything's splendid.' He brushed his hair sadly. There was a furtive rap at the door. "Hello," said Jimmy. "'Yes.' The door opened slowly. A grin, surmounted by a mop of red hair, appeared round the edge of it. "'Hello, Spike. Come in. What's the matter?' The rest of Mr. Mullins entered the room. "'Gee, boss, I wasn't sure dis was your room. Say, who do you think I nearly bumped me cocoa against out in the corridor upstairs? Why, old man McKeckern, the cop. Dat's right.' "'Yes?' "'Sure. Say, what's he doing on dis beat?' I pretty near went down and out when I seen him. That's right. Me breath ain't come back home yet.' "'Did he recognize you?' "'Did he? He starts like an actor on top de stage when he sees he's up against a plot to ruin him, and he gives me the fierce eye.' "'Well?' "'I was wondering was I on Turd Avenue, or was I standin' on me coco, or what was I doing anyhow? Then I slips off and chases meself up here. Say, boss, what's de game? What's old man MacAeckin doin' stunts dis side for?" "'It's all right, Spike. Keep calm. I can explain. He has retired, like me. He's one of the handsome guests here. On your way, boss! What's dat?' He left the force just after that merry meeting of ours when you frolicked with the bulldog. He came over here and butted into society. So, here we are again all gathered together under the same roof, like a jolly little family party." Spike's open mouth bore witness to his amazement. "'Then,' he stammered. "'Yes.' "'Then what's he going to do?' "'I couldn't say. I'm expecting to hear shortly. But we needn't worry ourselves. The next move's with him. If he wants to comment on the situation, he won't be backward. He'll come and do it.' "'Sure, it's up to him,' agreed Spike. "'I'm quite comfortable. Speaking for myself, I'm having a good time. How are you getting along downstairs?' "'The limit, boss. Honest. It's to the velvet.' "'There's old Gazebo, the butler, Saunders, his name is, that's the best ever at handing out long woids. I sits and listens. They calls me Mr. Mullins down there,' said Spike with pride. Good. I'm glad you're all right. There's no reason why we shouldn't have an excellent time here. I don't think that Mr. McKeckern will try to have us turned out, after he's heard one or two little things I have to say to him. Just a few reminiscences of the past which may interest him. I have the greatest affection for Mr. McKeckern. I wish it was mutual, but nothing he can say is going to make me stir from here." "'Not on your life,' agreed Spike. "'Say, boss,' He must have got a lot of plunks to be able to butt in here. And I know how he got them, too. Dad's right. I comes from little old New York meself." Hush, Spike, this is scandal. Sure, said the Bowery boy doggedly, safely started now on his favorite subject. I knows and use knows, boss. Gee, I wish I'd been a cop. But I wasn't tall enough. Days the fellers with the big bank rolls. Look at this old McKechern. Money to boin a wet dog wit he's got, and never a bit of work for it from the start to the finish. And look at me, boss. I do, Spike, I do. Look at me, getting busy all the year round, working to beat the band. In prisons oft, said Jimmy. Sure ting, and chased all round the town, and den what? Why, to the bad at the end of it all. Say, it's enough to make a feller—' Turn honest,' said Jimmy. "'That's it, Spike. Reform. You'll be glad some day.' Spike seemed to be doubtful. He was silent for a moment, then, as if following up a train of thought, he said, "'Boss, this is a fine big house.' "'I've seen worse.' "'Say, couldn't we—' "'Spike,' said Jimmy warningly. "'Well—' couldn't we?" said Spike doggedly. It ain't often use butts into a dead-easy proposition like this one. We shouldn't have to do a thing cept get busy. The stuff's just lying about, boss. I shouldn't wonder. Aw, oh, it's a waste to leave it. Spike," said Jimmy, I warned you of this. I begged you to be on your guard, to fight against your professional instincts. Be a man crush them. Try to occupy your mind. Collect butterflies." Spike shuffled in gloomy silence. Remember those jewels you swiped from the Duchess?' he said musingly. "'The dear Duchess,' murmured Jimmy. "'Ah, me!' And the bank you busted? Those were happy days, Spike." "'Gee!' said the Bowery boy. He paused. "'That was to the good he said wistfully. Jimmy arranged his tie in the mirror. "'There's a loydy here,' continued Spike, addressing the chest of drawers. "'That's got a necklace of jewels that's worth a hundred thousand plunks. Honest, boss, a hundred thousand plunks. Saunders told me that. The old gazebo that hands out the long words. I says to him, "'Gee!' And he says, "'Surest thing you know. A hundred thousand plunks!' So I understand, said Jimmy. Shall I rubber around and find out where is they kept, boss? Spike, said Jimmy, ask me no more. All this is in direct contravention of our treaty respecting keeping our fingers off the spoons. You pain me. Desist. Sorry, boss, but they'll be willy wonders, dem jewels. A hundred thousand plunks. That's goin' some, ain't it? What's that this side? Twenty thousand pounds. Gee. Can I help you with the duds, boss? No, thanks, Spike. I'm through now. You might just give me a brush down, though. No, not that. That's a hairbrush. Try the big black one. This is a boyd of a dude's suit, observed Spike, pausing in his labors. Glad you like it, Spike. Rather chic, I think. It's the limit. Excuse me. How much did it set you back, boss?" "'Something like twelve guineas, I believe. I could look up the bill and let you know.' "'What's that? Guineas? Is that more than a pound?' "'A shilling more. Why these higher mathematics?' Spike resumed his brushing. "'What a lot of dude-suits you could get!' he observed meditatively. "'If you had dem jewels.' He became suddenly animated. He waved the clothes-brush. "'Oh, you boss,' he cried, "'what's eating you? Aw, oh, it's a shame not to. Come along, you boss. Say, what's doin'? Why ain't you sittin' in at the game? Oh, you boss!' Whatever reply Jimmy might have made to this impassioned appeal was checked by a sudden bang on the door. Almost immediately the handle turned. "'Gee!' cried Spike. "'It's the cop!' Jimmy smiled pleasantly. "'Come in, Mr. McEachern,' he said, "'come in. Journey's end in lovers' meeting. You know my friend Mr. Mullins, I think. Shut the door and sit down, and let's talk of many things.'" End of Chapter 13